Well, we are making a tour of the Bible in, in two years. People that are in the class regularly have been reading diligently every week. Um, so we're about a third of the way through now. Um, about a third of the way through the Bible, although it doesn't look like it on the chart. Um, here's our... I haven't done this books of the Bible chart in a while, but we finished the five books of the law, and then we're in the history, and we finished a good part of the history. We just have Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther left to go. And just to look at this, you'd say, wow, you know, that doesn't even look like we're a quarter of the way through, but we've been re- doing some really big books. <laughs> So I'm pretty sure we're at least a third of the way through the book, the, the whole Bible. In fact, when you get halfway through Psalms, you're halfway through the Bible. So after that, are many of the books are shorter. Just the Old Testament, the whole thing. Yeah, when you're halfway through the book of Psalms, you're halfway through the entire Bible. Yeah. Um, so uh, in today, today in the next two weeks, we'll finish the history books. In the uh, in the Old Testament, and then that'll be it. We'll be all done with history books for the Old Testament. The rest of it will be uh, other things. Now, just to get an idea of the time frame, this is a chart that Matthew put together a while back when he was giving the survey of the of the Bible. The Book of Genesis covers thousands of years, and possibly the Book of Job, or probably the Book of Job, covers a, a small piece in the middle of that time frame. And then the, and then things start getting scrunched up. We've got Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all getting scrunched up into a 40-year period. And then um, Joshua, Judges, and Ruth cover several hundred years. Um, the, the books of Samuel, uh, about a century. The books of 1st and 2nd Kings, several centuries. Uh, First and Second Chronicles go back and cover the same history that we covered with Samuel through Kings, and then after Second Chronicles, we've got the history of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Um, the other books are uh, the red books are are prophets, and you can see where they fit in on the on the time scale. But we're we're going to be doing the uh, the poetry and wisdom books, the green ones, Job. Psalms and, and these. We'll be doing those next after our history. And one more view of the time frame. We're zooming in on just the period we're, to, we're looking at. We finished first and second Chronicles. There's a period of the captivity. How long did that last? 70 years. 70 years. And we have no history book that covers that period. Uh, the book of Daniel has some of the stories that are in that book. The book of Daniel is one of the, of the prophets. Uh, but the history books take up right after the captivity. It's like the captivity is just sort of a big parenthesis. And so we're starting this morning with, with Ezra. And then uh, Nehemiah will be uh, next week, at least part of Nehemiah. Any questions before I go on into our... Alright. So we're, we're doing Ezra. And why am I putting Ezra and Nehemiah on the same chart? Well, they do cover the same time period. One does the, one does the temple, another one does the, the walls. The yeah. Walls. Nobody's got the answer yet. Matthew's got it. Originally, they were one book. 
when whoever wrote it, and we don't we don't know who wrote it, but whoever wrote it made it wrote it as one book. Um, what are the books that we had in the Bible that have been like that? Yeah, First and Second Chronicles were originally one book. Kings, First and Second Kings were originally one book. Samuel, First and Second Samuel were one book. Now those three pairs, they were all split when the Bible was translated into Greek two or three hundred years before Jesus. What do we call that translation? The Septuagint. The Septuagint translators split Samuel, they split Kings, they split Chronicles. They did not split Ezra and Nehemiah. As it turns out, the first, the first record we have of Ezra and Nehemiah being divided into two books was done by a preacher named Origen who lived in the early 200s A.D. About 200 years after Jesus is the first time we have the books being split like that. Um, but in the 1400s, the, the Jews split it in their Hebrew Bible so that they also have two books now, uh, just like what we have. So, given that, the fact that in Jesus' day as well as in the original day, it was all one book, I've put them together here. And as you go through, keep this in mind that we're talking really about one book when we do Ezra and Nehemiah. One theme. And we'll, we'll take a look today what that theme is. Um, last week we finished Chronicles. What's the theme of Chronicles? What? <clears throat> yep, it, it is about the temple. Uh, that's a pretty major theme. Matthew? Uh, it kind of builds up to the temple and then it... Comes. Yeah, and it's all downhill from there. And it, it um, the, the high point comes... Uh, in at the beginning of um, Second Chronicles, with Solomon building the temple, and then the people just keep going into idolatry over and over, and, and the, the temple gets um, uh, desecrated many times, and finally it gets destroyed at the, at the very end of, of the book. Yeah, Tracy. I was just when you may have answered it before, but why don't they just keep these books on one book? I don't know. Well, I, I think I know why the Septuagint people split them. The, the, I think the Septuagint people thought that Chronicles was too big a book, and so they would make, make into two, and it would be it would just be a nicer size. <laughs> but uh, as far as Ezra and Nehemiah being split, next week when you read Nehemiah, you'll, you'll with the very first verse, you'll read that and you say, this sounds like a new book. And I think that's why they split Ezra and Nehemiah, just because when you read the beginning of Nehemiah, it sounds like one book, a new book. Yeah. So, while you had Chronicles going down, Ezra and Nehemiah are going back up. <laughs> and and it's, it's really a, a, a neat the way that works. Um, there are... Um, there's two major acts in, in Ezra and Nehemiah. You, the first act is the first group of people coming back from Babylonian captivity to the land and they, build the, and they rebuild the temple. Um, and we'll, that, that covers the first six chapters of Ezra. The second movement begins with Ezra's return, but Nehemiah came back in the same, at the same time. Ezra was there when Nehemiah came in. In fact, Ezra is even mentioned in the book of Nehemiah. Um, and that second movement, the temple's already been done. They don't have to rebuild the temple, but 
they rebuild the walls of the city. Then, one thing that's not actually on this outline, but it's, it's a third major theme of the book, is compromise with the people of the land, with the Samaritans. And both in Ezra and Nehemiah, they had to deal with marriages of people who had married uh, foreigners, like the Samaritans, as they weren't weren't supposed to. Um, all right. So, any questions on the on the outline then? All right. This gives some of the the chronology. Um, the first chart at the top here, uh, you see the first movement. Under, under Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was descended from David. He was an ancestor of Jesus. And he was the governor of, of, uh, of Judah when the people came back the first time under Cyrus. Um, and it was, uh, it was under his governorship that the temple was rebuilt. Then there's a big gap in the book of Ezra that, it, that where it just just leave things out. I'll show you another chart in a minute about that. But uh, The book of Esther actually fits into that gap, although it doesn't completely fill the gap. However, Esther doesn't take place in Judah, so it, it's, a, it's a very different kind of book. Then you have this second movement with Ezra's return and then Nehemiah um, in... Um, well, you can see from, from the original time, from 538 to the time of Ezra, is um, what is almost like almost eighty years. So, if there was anyone at the time of Ezra who who could remember coming back under Zerubbabel, they would have been really old. Now, yeah, Ralph. <coughs> Captive by Babylon, correct? You're right. Yes, it was Babylonian captivity. The the very first king of the Medo Persian Empire after they conquered Babylon was Cyrus. He was the one who, who conquered the Babylonian Empire. I'll show you a map in just a minute showing how, how big the Medo Persian Empire is. And um, he, um, he's the one that issued the decree saying the people could go back. They didn't all go back, though. Um, most of them stayed in, in, in the area of Babylon. Uh, it was just a, a, a remnant of them that returned. And so that's why under Ezra you could get a second return. Uh, uh, you know, a few thousand more people could come back because they had, you know, their parents hadn't, or their grandparents hadn't come back in the days of, of Cyrus and Zerubbabel. He did not go back. He did live into the reign of Cyrus just at the very beginning, but he was very old at that time. It, it, when he was thrown in the lion's den, that was in the reign of Cyrus. Um, and he was a very old man then. He, he, no, he never went back. He was a lot older than 73. Yeah, he was a lot older than 73. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> because um, at that point, 70 years had passed since he had been taken captive. Um, and if you, if you estimate, he might have been maybe 18 when he was taken captive. <coughs> He's getting old. Yeah. 
Oh, now, I want to look at the... We have... Here's the, on the left our list of the, of the Persian kings who were kings during, uh, the, during this period of time. Cyrus... There's two here that are not mentioned in Ezra or in Nehemiah or Esther. I don't know. Where, I don't know if they're ever mentioned in the Bible. But um, Cambyses was um, the son of Cyrus. Smyrdas was a guy who was a pretender. He, he um, I think he knocked off Cambyses, but it, I noted that he took over and he wasn't supposed to. And so the government finally handed the, the reign back late after a few years back to Darius. Darius is mentioned in Ezra. We'll see, see him in a moment. Um, in fact. Um, Zerubbabel was still running Judah in the reign of Darius. Then we have Ahasuerus, and, which is Xerxes, and then Artaxerxes. Um, and it was in the reign of Artaxerxes that Ezra came back. And then Darius II takes us even beyond the end of, the, of Nehemiah. So that, that's we're off the end at that point. Um, now, just looking at chapter 1, uh, a very key verse is, is verse 1. I, I mentioned last week, where does verse 1 link us to? Well, the, the last two verses of Chronicles are identical to the first two verses of Ezra. It, it's, they're, they're intended to link them together. And it's very likely that the same person wrote Chronicles as well as Ezra and Nehemiah, probably the same author. But, but, it, you may have noticed it, there were a lot of similarities in the style. Did anyone notice that as they were reading it? Saying, oh, we've got lists of names and numbers of people. <laughs> this sounds familiar. <laughs> um, but I want to home in on just one phrase. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. That's a key theme in the book. We're going to keep coming back to that theme several times as we go through the book. And, and even in the in the Nehemiah again it's the same book, but um, the Lord is doing this. The, the Ezra and Nehemiah is a book about God working on behalf of His people, and God working at times when it would seem like it was impossible. I mean, uh, you have this humongous empire, world empire, and you have these you know few thousand Jews who who are really slaves to the king of Persia. Um, but God stirred up Cyrus and He makes this proclamation in verse 3, Whoever there is among you of all His people, may His God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem which is in Judah and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. So this is the Medo-Persian Empire. And you can see it goes farther east than what the Babylonian Empire did. The Babylonian Empire stopped oh, right about here. You know, you get to the Persian Gulf and that's about it. But the Medo-Persian Empire went way on over. And the reason for that is that the Medes... See, this is Media already. Media was east of the Babylonian Empire. And um, uh, Persia... Well, Persia's in that area as well. Uh, I mean, this covers modern-day uh, Iran... And, and really part of India, even, the empire went that far. Going to the west, it covers Egypt and all, all the way into Libya. Uh, and up in the northern part, uh, the, the Lydian Empire, and all, off into what would today be northern Greece, Macedonia there. I mean, it was, a, it was an enormous empire. Before it's over, they're going to try to take Greece itself. 
they had they had a very famous war against Athens and and the allies. But we're not going to do that right now. Um, so here is Babylon. You can see on the Euphrates River, and the people were captive in, in kind of a wide area there, and they were going to go back to Jerusalem. You can see Jerusalem just a little tiny thing at this point. We'll, we'll zoom in on Jerusalem a little bit later. So chapter one tells about. Cyrus is giving back a bunch of the gold vessels that, they, that, that, that Nebuchadnezzar looted from the temple, which is very nice. And then the, the, the Jews also, even the ones that didn't go back, made contributions for the temple. So they had some money they could use to build with. And then in chapter 2, we have the list of groups with the numbers in the different groups. These are family groups for the most part. Sometimes they're, they're city groups. Um, and we have lists of priests starting in verse 36. And at some point we have some Levites. But the strange thing is that there's more priests than there are Levites. Now, I think everyone understands that if you're a priest, you're also a Levite. But um, when they talk about Levites, they mean non-priest Levites. And the non-priest Levites had jobs to do in the temple as well as the priests. I mean, they couldn't go in the temple building itself, but they... In the temple courtyard, they, they had a lot of work to do. Um, but not as many of them went back. And we'll see the same problem later on when Ezra comes back. And then there were even some that couldn't prove their genealogy, which was unfortunate. They, they, they were pretty sure they were priests, but they couldn't prove it. And so the governor told them they couldn't eat from the most holy things as priests could until, the, they, until they got the things settled. And there's no record they ever did get it settled. Um, so it, it, the, the journey all ends in verse 70 now the priests and the Levites some of the people the singers the gatekeepers and the temple servants lived in their cities and all Israel in their cities so now we have zoomed in on that little tiny area there's the Dead Sea and here's the area that they were uh, that they were living in at this point just tiny compared to what it had been in the heyday you know, of Solomon's empire for example um, to the north are the, the Samaria, is Samaria, the Samaritans. Uh, we're going to find they're going to come up in our story uh, in just a little bit. Well, but in chapter three, um, so far things are looking good. Although they must be rather nervous. I mean, they're just a little tiny group in the midst of, of really enemies all around. And, and in fact, it says in verse three. They were terrified because of the peoples of the lands. And here they are sitting in a, they're, they're living in a city where the, the walls have been broken down. And they don't have a temple, but they do have the site of the temple, and they set up the altar on the site, on its foundation, where Solomon had put it originally. They're going to try to worship God. And so for a while, all they really have is just this altar until they can get the, the temple built. But in verse 8, they start. It says in the second year of the coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, they start building the temple. And everyone and they have a big celebration when they lay the foundation. And, and Although some of the people were crying. Why were some of the people crying? Yeah. Now, they wouldn't have had to have been as old as you might think. I mean, um, the temple had not been... It, it had not been 70 years since the temple was destroyed. It had been about 50 years. Um, the, the captivity of 70 years actually covered... When Daniel was taken, it was 70 years. But 
there was still the temple was still standing after he had been taken, and, and it's, it continued standing for another decade or, or, or probably two. So these people could have been, if they had been old enough to remember the temple, let's say you know ten years old, um, sixty-two years, they could have been uh, having remembered it. So anything above sixty-two, and, and, and they they would have pretty good memory. And of course, it's never going to be like that again in these people's lifetime. Now later on, Herod the Great um, spent several decades fancying this temple up to where in the time of Jesus it, it was very glorious, perhaps as good as what it was in Solomon's day, although it didn't look the same. But chapter 4, you know, change of music here, dun, 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 dun. Um, and we got the enemy comes along. And who's the enemy? Yeah, the, the people of Samaria. Yeah, people of Samaria, that's the enemy. Now, there, there, there probably were people of, of Ammon as well that were enemies. Um, and I don't maybe even Edomites. But the Samaritans were, were major ones. You see, they're the ones, they said, Hey, this is great. You're going to build a temple. Wait, we're, we're your, you know, we're your cousins. <laughs> We've been living in this land this whole time, and you're going to build a temple. We want to join in. Um, and what was the answer? No. Which seems a little bit rude when you read it here, uh, but the rest of the book will 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 explain that it wasn't. <laughs> um, they. The problem, of course, was these Samaritans were not worshiping God like they were supposed to. We read in Chronicles, we read in Kings about how, um, especially I guess it was in Kings we read that um, they had combined worship of idols with the worship of Jehovah. And it was, well, of course, for many years they'd had the golden calf, so the, you know the people have been used to that. But most of these people were were foreigners anyway. They were they were idolaters brought in by the Assyrian king. There would have been a few Israelites left and they would have intermarried. So they certainly had some Jewish blood in them. But they had not been faithfully worshiping God all this time. And, and to try to combine that worship with the true worship would have been disaster. And so they say, no, you don't have any part in it. So what's their response then? Yeah, now we're going to hinder. And, and we see their character in a lot of the dishonest things that they do in the rest of this book and the next, uh, Ezra Nehemiah. Um, now, at this point, the time frame gets a little bit complicated. Um, in verse 5, it's simple enough. They hired counselors against them to frustrate the, their counsel all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now, here we've got we, we skipped a couple of of minor kings that I in, in between Cyrus is major Darius Ahasuerus was the king during the during the time of Esther Artaxerxes was the king when Ezra came back and when Nehemiah came back uh, so verse five is simple enough they hired counselors uh, from Cyrus till Darius so that's this period here and. The, the period here during the reign of Darius is when uh, they rebuild the temple, which we're going to get to in chapter 5. 
But now, the rest of chapter 4 is confusing if you know the kings. If you don't know the kings, it's fine. You just read, hey, this is fine. You know, what's the problem? But if you know the kings, this gets confusing because in verse 6 it says, Now in the reign of Ahaziah, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. Well, Ahaziah reigned after the temple was done. Now this seems a bit of a surprise because chapter 5 is when they're going to build the temple. Yeah, here we have, um, they're writing to Ahaziah. It gets worse. In verse 7, And in the days of Artaxerxes, they write another letter. Artaxerxes is up here in the days of Ezra. Um, and now, now Ezra is not trying to throw us off by writing like this. It, he's, he expects you to know when these people are kings and, and to understand that he's doing something more than just giving us straight year-by-year chronological history. What he's trying to do is to show that the opposition of these Samaritans was continuous year after you know rain after rain they're all the time trying to do damage um, and they are being successful in doing this damage um, so he, he just picks out a representative one and this one is pretty serious and in fact it seems like if you read this letter that they wrote to King Artaxerxes you'll find that they're not complaining about the temple being built the temple had been built for, a, for decades when they write. What they're complaining is in verse 12, they're rebuilding the rebellious and evil city and are finishing the walls and repairing the foundations. That's getting up near the time of Nehemiah. And, and my guess is that this letter was written between the time when Ezra came back and the time Nehemiah came back. In between that, um, the people apparently had tried to rebuild the walls, although it's not recorded in Ezra or Nehemiah. But they tried to rebuild the walls, and they get stopped by this opposition from the Samaritans. So, so yeah, in verse 17, the king answers and says, yeah, tell those people to stop. You know, this, this is going to be too costly to the empire and all that, which is exactly what they wanted. And... Um, so they were very happy to do that. You know, in, at the end of verse 23, they went in haste to Jerusalem to the Jews and stopped them by force of arms. <laughs> I'm sure they enjoyed doing that. Um, verse 24 then jumps back in time to the time of Darius. Then work on the house of God in Jerusalem ceased and it was stopped until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now, again, that seems odd and this has given commentators difficulties um, for, for many years. But Ezra's point is to try to summarize the, the opposition of the Samaritans over many reigns, over decades and decades. This is their character. And it's important that you see the character for several reasons. One, to understand that they were right to tell the Samaritans, you can't help us with the temple. Number two, to show that this is really terrible when you start intermarrying with these enemies of God's people. And number three, to show how marvelous it is when God works with His power and the people get to rebuild the temple and the city in spite of the opposition of the enemy. And that's a major theme of, of Ezra and Nehemiah. The, the fact that God works with His great power to accomplish uh, the, this, this great work of building up His people again in, in their land. 
Um, so now in um, in chapter five, verse one, it says, "When the prophets Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem, then they started building the temple." Later, when we do those prophets in this class, you'll you'll have to remember back to this time because of what happened because of the opposition, and we don't know the exact opposition to the building of the temple. Um, Ezra has just given us kind of a summary. It, it extended over all these reigns. Because of that opposition, they had stopped. They had come back early in, in the reign of Cyrus. But then they had stopped for, for a period of years, uh, decades even. And finally the prophets write and say, you guys aren't doing right. I mean, you're building your own houses. They're in good shape. What about the house of God? And, and, and so they, they, get, they get going and they, they rebuild the temple. And that's what happens in chapter 5. They rebuild it. Um, and as soon as they start actively rebuilding again, the Samaritans write another letter to the king. This letter is before the other one. The other one's way up here. This one's way back here. But it's, it's the same attitude that they've always shown. And in this particular letter, they, they tell about the building of the temple and... Then and they they tell about how they 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 talk with these these people and say who gave you permission and they said why Cyrus did Cyrus is dead at this time but he was an official king of Medo Persians and his decrees sh- should stand if they are recorded and so you have this guy named I think his name is Tatani um, or maybe I got mixed up with he may have been in the previous one. Um, the governor, he wants to know from the king. Um, who, who is it? Okay. Well, anyway, he wants to know from the king who did did this decree really was it really given? So he says in verse seven, now if it pleases the king, let a search be conducted in the king's treasure house, which is there in Babylon. If it be the decree was issued by King Cyrus to rebuild this house of God. And I think the governor has his suspicions that it didn't. These people, they want to build a temple. Hey, they're just making something up. You know, happened a long time ago. You know, this decree. Uh, let's see if it really did. But in chapter six, verse one, King Darius did make the search. They did not find it in Babylon. This is, we've zoomed in on the Medo-Persian Empire here. Uh, here's Babylon, uh, and up here is at Batana, uh, and that was one of the, um, the palace cities. <laughs> and um, so the, apparently they're doing a, an amazing search I mean the, the, the original suggestion was searching Babylon they obviously didn't find it there they're searching Agbatana and there they they found a copy of this decree and so they, they give it in, in more detail than what we had at the beginning of, of the, the book in fact and so what does Darius tell the people then to do Yeah, not only, um, not you know, not only don't hinder them, but help them. He's saying, and um, even even providing financial support out of the the governor's um, tribute uh, to um, uh, to the Medo Persian Empire. <coughs> so they did. They helped. I, I expect that must have left a bad taste in their mouth, but 
you do what the king says. And they were successful. So, um, in, ver- in chapter 6, verse 14, um, it said, The elders of the Jews were successful in building through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo, two books that we're going to study later. And they finished building according to the command of God, of, of the God of Israel, and the decree of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Now, with Artaxerxes, we're again jumping, I don't have that chart on right now, but we're jumping forward to the time of Ezra. Um, and I think there may there may be some extra support to the for the temple that was done under the reign of Artaxerxes, um, but that's just that's just my guess. Um, so anyway, it tells us when it was finished, third day of the month of Adar. I think that's the first month of the year, in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. And so they had a dedication ceremony, and again, this will remind you back. Uh, of the dedication in Chronicles when Solomon built the temple. Although, you notice, they don't have nearly as many animals they're offering. I mean, with, with Solomon, they had thousands. And here they just have 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and so forth. And then in verse 19, they observed the Passover on the 14th of the first month. And again, that reminds us of Chronicles, some of those great observances of Passover. There were, there were two in particular that were really great. And here's the, their first Passover after the, the temple was built. Must have been a, a, an exciting time um, to be uh, observing that feast. Now, in chapter seven, then the, between the end of chapter six and chapter seven, there is a gap here of close to sixty years. Not even mentioned um, in, in Ezra or Nehemiah. And now here we come with. Um, Ezra and in, um, we learn a little bit about Ezra in verse 1 it says he's the son of Sariah Sariah was the high priest when, when Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem he was put to death on, at the orders of, of um, Nebuchadnezzar and Ezra it says is the son of him he's actually you know, probably the great grandson I don't know how many generations in between but um, there are some generations in between. Joshua, the high priest who came back un- under Cyrus, uh, I'm pretty sure he's dead by now, but that Joshua was also a descendant of Sariah. Um, Ezra is a descendant, but not he's not in the high priest line. I mean, um, there's only one high priest you know, at a time. And, and Ezra is, is probably descended from one of the younger, younger sons coming down. But he is a priest, certainly. Uh, any, any descendant of a high priest would certainly be a priest. In addition to being a priest, what is he in verse 6? A scribe, yes. He's skilled in the law of Moses. And, and verse, um, um, verse 10 is an important verse. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it, and to teach his statutes and ordinances in, in, in Israel. Very important point. He's going to help teach the people the law so they can serve God faithfully. And now, the rest of chapter 7 and all of chapter 8 is all about them coming back, uh, this second return from Babylon. Now, um, 
Ezra, the book of Ezra tells the story in a rather odd order because in, in chapter 7, verse 9, they made the journey. They started in the first month and they finished on the fifth month. End of story. Now we go back and do the whole thing over again. A very strange way to tell a story. It kind of removes the suspense. We know they made it. <laughs> and there would there is quite a bit of suspense if you didn't know that. Um, because it was a dangerous journey they made. In at the end of chapter, for the rest of chapter seven, it tells the decree of the king. Um, he appears to be a very nice guy, um, and he, he's um, he's even ordering uh, the treasurers of the province to uh, provide money to help uh, the service of the temple. And he's given authority to Ezra to do. He, he's um, he's a governor of the Jews, and he's given him authority to punish all of that. And um, a key verse is verse 27. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who has put such a thing as this in the king's heart to adorn the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem. We, we started the book with that idea. God put it in the heart of Cyrus. Now God's putting it in the heart of this king. That's a major theme in the book. Um, we had it back in chapter 6, verse 22. I think I skipped that one. Oh yeah, yeah. go back to chapter 6, verse 22. This is back when they finished the temple. They observed the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with joy, for the Lord had caused them to rejoice and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them to encourage them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. Now understand, he's the king of Persia, but the Persians were ruling over the exact same people in the exact same area that the Assyrians had, so that's why he calls it that. Um, so, same idea, chapter 727. Um, God is the one who is doing these great things, and the book is written to glorify God. You know, the book is basically saying, Our God is great. He is taking care of us. We're not great at all. We're just, you know, weak and poor. But He is accomplishing these amazing things. Who else could do such a thing? That's the theme of the book of Ezra. Yeah. So, the king in um, chapter 7 is. Verse 21, I think Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes, yes. That's yeah, the that's the king, yes. Artaxerxes. Um, right there. You can, it, it didn't come out too good in this overhead, but that's Artaxerxes. And this little period here, one year, that's the period that chapter 7 through the end of the book, end of chapter 10 covers. That one year period. From the time when Ezra came back Till the till the end of the book is a, is a one year period. So chapter eight then tells about the coming back and how they gather people. He's got some more numbers. The you know, chronicles Ezra they love, they love numbers. Um, and then in verse fifteen they discover they didn't have any Levites. They had priests but no Levites. Now they didn't have a lot of Levites the first time, but now they don't have any. And so he sends back you know come on guys I mean you people. You know, volunteer here and come with us. Of course, this is not a minor thing. It's not like, like you know, hey, join us on our Caribbean cruise. That's not what this is. You know, hey, join us while we move to a little old tiny place um, in the province of Judah, and you're never coming back again. I mean, for the most part, that that's what that would have been. So it was a brave thing they were doing, uh, but fortunately, he got he got some Levites. Then they had another problem in verse 21. What's that other? What's this next problem? No, no, that's later. This is chapter 8. They need protection. They need protection. Hey, the king has given them money everything. 
all the, the king can give him some guards. Why not? <laughs> yeah, I love this. Um, now there wouldn't have been anything wrong with having guards. I mean, you know, it's not a sin to have have guards. But Ezra is concerned about what the king's going to think about their God. He wants he wants God to be glorified in their eyes. And and he had already told you know I don't know how much chance he had to talk to the king, but what he said he said you know our God is is with us. He takes care of us. And and Ezra's thinking, you know, if I now go and say, uh, could we have some guards because we might get killed on the way? You know, he's going to think, uh, it's not your God took care of you. And so Ezra's he's determined our God is going to take care of us. But boy, he, it was a dangerous thing. I mean, think about it. This is a long journey they're making. It's going to take them months through all different territories. They're carrying lots and lots of money. I mean, listed back here. Um, well, I don't know if it lists specific, but uh, there are a lot of contributions the Jews are making to, to take care of the temples of gold and silver. Um, so, you know, if they don't have an armed guard, there could be there be groups of bandits that would love to knock the, these people off and, and you know take over the, the money. So they had a time of prayer and what else? Fasting. To ask God. Please guard us on this journey. And um, oh yeah, here it is in verse twenty-six: six hundred fifty talents of silver. How much did a talent weigh? 75. About seventy-five pounds. So we're talking about a lot of silver here: six hundred and fifty talents. A um, hundred gold talents. That would be seven thousand five hundred pounds of gold, and that'd be an enormous amount of money on, on today's market: two thousand dollars an ounce. Oh, I don't know what it is today, but you know that that range. So yeah, they were they were a, a target. So um, they prayed, and verse thirty-two. Thus we came to Jerusalem and remained there three days. Um, but verse thirty-one is more important. Um, the hand of our God was over us, and He delivered us from the hand of the enemy and the ambushes by the way. Yeah, I'd love to have a story, and I'd love to have that recorded. Even their whole journey that would have been a lot of fun, but. Um, all Ezra wants us to know is God came through. We asked Him to take care of us and He did. Then, in chapter 9, oh, this is so sad. It turns out, what have the people done? They've intermarried with the people of the land. And this is the same people that have been hiring counselors against them. You know, they're, they're enemies. What's going to happen after a few generations, if they go intermarrying like this with idolaters, they'll just be idolaters. It'll, it'll just, just, they'll just disappear as separate people. And so, what's Ezra's attitude? He's destroyed. Yeah, he is just shocked. He even pulls out some of his hair. He's so upset. Um, and he finally has a prayer that begins in verse five, chapter nine, verse five, and goes to the end of the, of the chapter. Very unusual prayer. Do you know he doesn't ask for a single thing in this whole prayer? It's simply confession. Um, he just says, I am ashamed and embarrassed to lift up my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen above our heads and our guilt has grown even to the heavens. He just feels awful about it. And I'm sure that 
his attitude of, of, of sadness and then his seriousness in his prayer must have had a lot of, of must have done a lot to move the people of, the, of that land. Um, th- this kind of sin, it kind of starts in slowly. I mean, here you are, you know, you're all marrying J- Jews. And then, you know, one person over here happens to marry a, an idolater. And people think, well, that's kind of strange. I didn't think we did that. And then someone else does it, and pretty soon you've got the leaders doing it. I mean, even priests are, are marrying idolaters. It's just, it's just terrible. And, but everyone kind of thinks, what's the big deal? I mean, we've seen the same thing happen in, in America in the last few decades where... Um, there's something that's very, very shocking, and, and everyone says, "Oh, that's just terrible." But then another person does it, another person, and until now, today, they're shocked that you think it's anything odd. Um, and I'm sure that kind of thing was happening then. And but Ezra is turning them back, and so then they have a in chapter ten they have a a meeting. Uh, Shechaniah in verse two says, we have been unfaithful to our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land, yet now there is hope for Israel in spite of this. So he says, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all the wives and their children according to the counsel of my Lord and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God. Let it be done according to the law. Shechaniah's father was Jehiel. And in verse 26 you find Jehiel was one of the ones who had married foreign wives. So in his own family this kind of thing is going on. Now, he's not a prophet that I, that I know of, but all he can see to do is, we're just going to have to put them away. Now, in the law, there wasn't any, there wasn't any explanation of what to do about this. I mean, the law just says don't do it. It doesn't say how you solve it if you do it. Um, what they decide to do is what, is what they feel is the best that can be done under the circumstances. It's, it's, it must have been a very painful thing I mean, it lists, uh, among all the lists, here's a list of the people that were guilty of this sin. And at the end of the, of the book it says, all these had married foreign wives, and some of them had wives by whom they had children. Now, you think about that, and that's really sad. Um, it took them several months to go through and deal with each of these. Uh, one of the commentators I read suggested that probably if a wife had converted and become a Jew, they wouldn't have to put her away. And you may remember when um, Ruth was, you know, Ruth married Boaz. Um, she was she was an Ammonite, uh, but she had converted. She said, "My God, you know, your God will be my God." I mean, she had become a Jew. That's one thing, but it's a very different thing if these women are still idolaters, just like Solomon's wives were still idolaters. That's the, that's the problem. So they had to go through and have judges who judged each of these cases. And in the end, they paid a heavy price for this sin. You know, you, you know, you, you, you know, any of us who are married, you know, we understand you know, the closeness. And even when you ha- when you're married to someone that may not share your spiritual views, it still is a is a terrible thing to have to separate. But that's what what they had to do. And even their children had to be sent all, sent away, along with those wives. Yeah, Tracy. There, there were priests. There were there were, people, there were ordinary people, um, princes, you know, rulers of the people. It was all over the place. It was just, yeah, that's why it was so. It was just terrible. 
it's going to come up again before we're done with this book of Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, it, it's a sad, it's just a hard thing to get, get, get through to people. But they did get through it. In the days of Jesus, they had no idolatry and no intermarriage with Gentiles, at least not to speak of. Um, and you may, you may notice that. In fact, they were so set on being separated from the Gentiles that when Peter baptized Cornelius, <laughs> the Jewish Christians were pretty upset about this. I mean, they, they had this background for it. Any last questions or comments? All right, appreciate everyone's help this morning.